Thanks for that piece of shit, Lieutenant, that's always uh, on his podcast. Pass us. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. Welcome. New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. We're joined today by Madeline Bram. Madeline Bram is a national crime advocate. Uh, advocate she she's one of the most outspoken people in new york you may have seen her she's all over the media she's on social media she's out talking advocating for common sense reform common sense policy she's also running for congressional district 16 in new york um and that's up in westchester for those that you don't know and we just want to go over her platform real quick we just want to get her out and so you guys are aware of her she's a big supporter of law enforcement as always i'm joined by the most complete cop in the mypd eric s dim also known as the boogeyman on the streets of the bronx eric how you doing my brother uh, madeline you're laughing outstanding it's a pleasure to meet you madeline I i've heard you. your story and I, I've seen you out there and, and, and you're fiery and I love that you're feisty and, and, and your voice projects some real strength behind you. And, and the eyes don't lie. I could see in your eyes that you, you're passionate, you're compassionate, and you come from a, a place of strength. And I know it because your family has a deity of military service. We were just talking about it. And, and that's mm -hmm. obviously a reflection of you. Your story is exhilarating. I, I know you lost your son who served proudly, but unfortunately he lost his life coming home to a crime-ridden New York City, and now mm -hmm. you're out fighting for public safety and numerous, uh, <coughs> numerous different facets that are out there. So please tell everyone uh, about Madeline. Tell us about yourself. Tell us where you grew up and how you got mm -hmm. to politics and what your views are and what we're looking at right now in New York City. Um, thank you so much for having me. Yes, my, my name is Madeline Brain. Um, I was uh, born and raised out in Suffolk County, Long Island, in a small little town called North Bellport. You know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Suffolk County, Long Island, but um, it's a town uh, right next to Patchogue. And um, it's, it's, it's a, I, I like to call it a little democratic plantation, right? Um, it's predominantly um, minorities, poor minorities, and uh, they're both Democrat. Um, however, I was raised in a very conservative household. Um, my mom was Republican. My grandfather was a Republican. So I was brought up with a different set of uh, values. Uh, was raised to believe in God and family and country. I come from a very patriotic background. Um, every male in my family has served in the military, dating all the way back to the Buffalo Soldiers, including uh, my brothers, my uncles, um, and two of my own sons. Um, my baby boy um, is currently 82nd Airborne. He is a paratrooper stationed in Fort Bragg. Hopefully uh, we will see him, God willing, for Thanksgiving. He'll be here for uh, his second leave since he's enlisted. And we're praying for safe travels for him. He's driving up from North Carolina and um, he's excited. He's excited to see his family. He's excited to be home. You know, um, I wouldn't, won't, you know, uh, lie. I do have concerns about uh, after his leave, will he get orders to be deployed to the Middle East? Um, every mother, every gold star, every blue star, every uh, silver star mom 
has the same, you know, feelings, but we also understand that this is a, a path that our sons and daughters have chosen and they volunteer to do it. And uh, they are part of the United States Armed Forces, one of the best in the world, not one of the best, but the best in the world, the best trained, the best trained, and they are quite capable and they're ready, willing, and able to go and uh, do whatever they have to do. You know, and if my son um, ends up in the Middle East in some type of combatic conflict, I hope that he, I hope that he blows them to smithereens because we would not be engaged unless the United States was under some type of threat. So um, as far as that's concerned, but um, moving fast forward, um, I have a regular job. <laughs> I work a regular nine to five. Um, I got into this because my son Hassan was killed five years ago in Harlem. He was also Afghanistan war retired veteran where um, he served valiantly on the battlefield of Afghanistan, he has uh, uh, received and returned enemy fire on the Taliban, two, con two confirmed kills on the, Talib on the Taliban. And um, Hassan was just, you know, um, Hassan was a badass. He was a badass, you know, and um, he came home. Um, he retired, actually, because he hurt his back scaling a wall. He was a mortarman. So he uh, hurt his back scaling a wall. He fell. And in Germany, I believe. And um, so he retired early. He came to New York to see what the job market was like. And he also wanted to take advantage of the GI Bill and uh, go back to school. So he was, um, at the time of his death, he was enrolled in Manhattan Institute as a, a medical assistant. And he was getting ready to graduate. He was also a personal physical trainer at Crunch Gym. So I was nasty with his hands. He fought Golden Gloves against, uh, well, he trained at, at uh, uh, the, uh, what's his name, Hector Macho Camacho. His son, his son um, had a gym in Puerto Rico and Hassan trained with him, Golden Gloves, you know, during Hassan's teenage years. Hassan was born in Puerto Rico, by the way. His father played basketball in Puerto Rico. And um, Hassan came back and uh, there was an altercation that happened one night in Harlem. Um, a man half his father's age, uh, attacked him, attacked his father, and Hassan, you know, did his thing. You know, he, he, whipped, he whipped him, all right? And and uh, the kid went back. He wasn't a kid because he was in his 30s. Uh, he went back and he got those four people, uh, two brothers, a sister, and their friend. And uh, they, uh, the kid told um, them that Hassan and his father jumped him when, in all actuality, the kid jumped Hassan's father. That's why, you know, Hassan died defending his father. Um he was stabbed nine times, uh, kick punch, stomped, uh, held, chased. His father was also stabbed 12 times when at that same night when he tried to come to Hassan's aid. I think it's the 28th precinct or the 32nd precinct. I'm not sure, right around the corner from Harlem Hospital because it happened on 152nd and 8th Avenue. Um, they responded and... Um, they caught all seven of those people, I mean, all four of those people in seven months, all right? So they did a hell of a job. It's the same precinct that those two officers were ambushed when they went, when they ran down the hallway. Do you remember that story, that incident that happened in Harlem, I think, two years ago? Okay, they uh, that same precinct. 
So those detectives, the homicide squad, the fugitive squad, seven months, all four. And that's unheard of, especially, you know, uh, since so many, you know, homicides and different crimes go unsolved because the people run, all right, and uh, New York doesn't have the resources. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. Um, no, you're not, you're this, not rambling. We, we got you. So, this, so This case was handled in Manhattan in the Manhattan uh, Criminal Court. At the time, Cyrus Vance was the district attorney, and all four of these people were charged and, and indicted for first-degree gang assault and second-degree murder. Um, the case was maybe two and a half years old when uh, Alvin Bragg took over. He was handed that strong trial-ready murder case. There was never any plea deals. There was never any anything. This case was marked for trial from the day that it, it made it in front of a judge. Right. Um, as soon as Alvin Bragg got the case, it completely unraveled and fell apart. Two of the people, um, he gave slaps on the wrist. The sister, Mary Saunders, he um, completely dismissed the murder and gang assault and charged her with assault with a shoe. I didn't even know assault with a, with a shoe was a crime. But she was charged with assault with a shoe and given one year time served. And Travis Stewart, who's their friend, he um, got attempted gang assault. And they sentenced him to seven years because he had a prior. But the two brothers, James and Christopher Saunders, were both um, uh, given 20 to life because they were both repeat predicate, persistent, violent felony offenders. Christopher was actually out on parole at the time for attempted murder on a police officer. Right? Um, he had only served five years, and he hadn't even been out for two years yet All right, before he participated in the murder of my son. So um, he had no business being out. And James had been in and out of prison, in and out of penitentiary since he was 13 years old. All right. So um, these were career criminals that had no business. You know, a family of homicidal maniacs. They had no business being in the street. So um, what forced me into po politics is my fight for justice for my son and also for other mothers of uh, homicide victims, and not just that, but mothers of accidental overdose victims, because I also have a son, Rayvon, who died two years after Hassan from um, accidental overdose uh, cocaine laced with fentanyl. So that um, threw me into that fight as well. And that's another thing that is affecting America, sweeping across this country. If that's not a white or black thing, that that is a thing. That is a thing that's affecting so many different lives. So um, I really had no intention of getting into politics, but you cannot fight this fight without it becoming political. All right. Um, I think politics is a dirty business. I think that um, it's focused too much on money, power, and prestige. And uh, the people, the issues are pushed to the side and abandoned. And the media has a lot to do with promoting who the candidate they want to win. And they push those people so they can raise the most money, right? Now, I'm running against Jamal Bauman. Jamal Bauman is the guy who, full, who pulled the fire alarm. You remember that story? Jamal Bauman is the guy who pulled the fire alarm and, um, I chose New York 16 because my strategist says that that is probably the most winnable race because there is no Republican running against him. So not only am I 
you know, the lone Republican. I'm also female and I'm also black. And I also be, I, I also am a 40 year loyal Democrat who walked away from the plantation of the Democratic Party because I see, you know, because of my experience of the way they, the Democrats and the progressives treated me and my family when it came to the murder of my son. And also because we have been giving our votes away for all of these 60 years. We've been marching around the foot of the mountain for 60 years and we have still not reached the mountaintop, right? And you could, you got Al Sharpton and you got all these different gatekeepers, that's what I like to call them, all right? That are, you know, keeping the black community in check and telling us just keep marching, just keep marching. One day you'll make it. And they're the only ones who seem to make it to the mountaintop by keeping us oppressed and suppressed at the bottom. So when we talk about, you know, racism and uh, it's it's a white man who's doing this and, and this and that, you know, no, it's not. I've never seen more racist people in the world than blacks against other blacks. And in New York, in New York, our entire administration is ran by black people. And they're the ones who are just throwing us out like we're trash. They come to our communities when they want to vote, but you don't see them any other time besides election time. I was up in uh, Mount Vernon last weekend handing out turkeys. The people never even heard of Jamal Bowman. They have no idea who he even is. And he is their representative. He's their congressman. He's the one who's supposed to be going to Washington to bring that bring back their fair share of resources so they won't have the, 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 the potholes in the road and the dilapidated housing and failing schools and all that, right? So we people vote for people just because, um, number one, uh, the color of their skin. Black people do that, all right? Um, I'm not downing black people because I love my people, but um, our thinking, our attitude, our behavior, all right, is just out to snacks, right? Uh, we are our own worst enemy. We won't listen. We won't listen. We um, would rather ignore the situation. Then you have the illegal immigrant issue, okay? They're being pushed right into the poor black and brown communities, pushing people, long-time residents, out of their homes, out of their homes, sucking up the resources, the, 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 the scarce resources that they already have, that they barely have. Then you have Mayor Adams making cuts to make up for the billions and billions that him, Kathy Hochul, and City Council blew. All right, they blew that money. That's why there's nothing for the migrants when they could just as easily line those buses up and send those people right back to the border where they came from. They have no business being here if they're here illegally. But you see, those are just some of the issues. Some of my platform crime is out of control. We all know that. No matter what Mayor Adams says, the safest city in America, that he's lying straight through his teeth. He's lying. There's nothing safe about New York. Nothing safe, and it hasn't been in a few years. Madeline, you're running against Jamal Bowman. He's yes. a far-left progressive. Yes. 
What do you want to tell the people? What's the first thing you want to do when you're elected? When I'm elected? That's a good question. I have a lot to say. I have a lot to say. But I just want the people to feel that they can count on me to be their voice and to be their fight in Congress, right? And fight for the issues that matter to them the most and to go and fight for the resources to make sure that I bring back to the communities what I said that I would, what I you know promised them to do. But then again, I can't make any promises because I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know what I'm going to be faced when I go to Washington. You know, you see what's happening now with the Republicans up there. They can't get nothing done. They can't get anything done. So, you know, I know that it's an uphill battle. But I want the people to feel confident that they have the power within themselves, okay, to change their circumstances and their situations. They have the power themselves. They don't have to sit down, lay down and roll over and play dead. You know, just because you live in that communities and those, those poor communities doesn't mean that you have to conform to it. You don't have to indulge in that stuff. You know, get up and go to work. Work. Yeah. Teach those kids. Teach those kids. It starts within the four walls of the home. Teach those kids some, you know, give them some home training, some discipline, some guidance. So it, it, it's like, you know, um, I'm not a politician, you know, and, and I don't think I ever want to be. I just want to be who I am. I just want to be myself and be who I am. And I think that it, I'm, I'm, I'm more relatable that way. I'm more relatable because people, um, I'm speaking to the hearts and minds of people, not so much to the issues. I'm speaking to the hearts and minds of people because the issues are man-made, all right, and, and it's bigger than all of us. The issues are bigger than all of us, unless you have trillions of dollars to actually change. You know, but we can, we, we do have the power to change the way we think and the way we act and the way we behave. Madeline, you said uh, that you provided, there's a lot to unpack here, but ultimately, what I got out of it is that you're really compassionate for the people. I mean, you ha you have a great story. I mean, you you personally and your family took a direct hit from the events uh, that have surrounded these woke progressive politics. Your family has taken a direct hit when it comes to bail reform. Mm -hmm. Your family was affected by it because if it wasn't for bail reform, maybe those murderous thugs that killed your son wouldn't have been out in the street at that time. If there was still support for the police and they were doing intrusive police work, maybe your son wouldn't have had to confront these these thug savages that don't even have the right and privilege to actually walk the streets of New York City. Right. And it's unfortunate. You know, you, what you're saying here, it's so interesting because you said it, and we just interviewed Latina Brown, community advocate, a couple of days ago. And she said the same thing. I'm not a politician. I don't want to be a politician. You guys want to serve the people. And it's sad it's come to that point that the word politician has become associated, yeah, exactly what you said, with money and power. Mm -hmm. But politics, our forefathers designed politics to, to serve the people. And, 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 it, and it's unfortunate that we have to move away from that and say, hey, I'm not a politician. Because we need to bring that back to where being a, a politician is actually serving the people, That's actually right. knowing who 
right? Knowing who your people are. So, you know, with that being said, what 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 would be uh, when you get when you get into office? And I hope that you do. What what would the relationship be that you would want to form with the police department so that they could get support so that someone else's son is not out there getting killed by murderous thugs? What relationship would you have with the police department? If you had an opportunity to sit with the police commissioner, what would be some of the things that you would want addressed? John and I constantly talk here about intrusive police work. We feel that proactive and intrusive police work is what curbs crime along with broken windows theory. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so what, what, what would be a conversation that you might have with the police commissioner? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, broken windows and uh, proactive policing, because I am a product of the crack era, right? I was around when Rudy Giuliani and uh, uh, Commissioner Kelly and George Pataki were running New York. They claimed they came in with their broken windows and the proactive policing, the stop and frisk, all that, and they cleaned this mess up within one year. It was cleaned up, right? I would, um, my interaction or my relationship that I would like to bring to uh, the NYPD would be to encourage, all right, that they execute professionalism, but also do the, their job to the best of their ability, do what they're hired to do. I would uncuff them. I would uncuff them and I would let them go into the streets and clean this mess up, clean it up. Because right now there is no respect for NYPD. Sometimes I see, I watch the news and I see the things happening and it brings tears to my eyes. Like look at how these savages are disrespecting our law enforcement. Without them, don't they know? It would be a million times worse without them. You know, and, 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 and I see the, the, the police are actually afraid to make arrests and have to, you know, focus on how they're, you know, um, app doing apprehensions and if the cuffs are too tight and then you got people filming you, the camera all in your face, you know, like talking shit all in your face. It's like, come on, you know, 10 years ago, this you would have never, it's, it's disrespectful, right? Boosting the morale of the police officers. Letting you guys know that New Yorkers need you. Without you, there would be no law and order here. There would be no st uh, uh, stability here. People would not be safe. People would not be. Do you think that in the black communities, the people wanted the police defunded and removed? Absolutely not. Nobody advocated for that. Those progressives did that nonsense because black people are disproportionately affected by the criminal justice system. Well, newsflash, black people are the ones committing all the damn crime. So who else should be affected by it, right? They're the ones committing the crime. They're the ones uh, creating innocent, hurting innocent people, all of that. So, so come on, come on. You know, I, and this is not to bash my people. I, I, I want to make that 100% clear. However, I'm telling the truth, just like Cardi B said the other day, you know, and she's not the first. We've been saying this for years. All of a sudden, because Cardi B says it, now it's like, you know, uh, the, the hottest thing since sliced bread, you know, like she's the first one to ever said it. No, she's not, but she's rich and famous. That's why I said money, power, and prestige. Unless you have those three things, nobody wants to listen to you. 
but you've been saying it the whole time. But I would definitely build a strong relationship with the NYPD. I will weed out the bad ones because there are some bad ones. There's some bad apples in there, you know, but I definitely wouldn't be defunding them. I would make sure that they have the best equipment, the best uniforms, their station houses are clean and up to par. I'd make sure that their pensions are protected. I would make sure that they have immunity. The good ones, because right now, even the good ones are afraid of losing their job and being sued if they cuff somebody too tight, okay? So just like the lawmakers have immunity and they're safe from, you know, uh, uh, litigation, the police should be safe as well. You know, they, 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 I would encourage the, the NYPD to be the front lines of defense for the streets of New York City, the streets of Chicago, the streets of St. Louis, the streets of California, you know? So um, that that is a, that's a little bit complicated because of the demographic of people that the NYPD is dealing with, right? They, they just, you know, um, have no respect. And now we, we have laws in place that make it legal for them to have no respect. Right? They they have no discipline. But you, young man, what's your name? Eric? Yes. Eric? Eric's down there. All right. Um, let, let, yeah, sorry, I didn't mute my mic. Yeah, Eric did most complaint cop. <laughs> Eric Gim, you know, um, are you uh, currently on the force? No, no. Um, uh, John and I, we're, we're both retired. We're both retired, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would encourage, you know, especially the new recruits, to rely on their training, okay? Not this watered down soft training that they have now, all right? I, I would encourage them to um, don't put their life on the line, all right? Don't risk their life if the mayor is not gonna have their back, all right? There's a lot of corruption there. That's why he's cutting more money from the forces, right? There, there's a lot of corruption there. A lot of no bid contracts going out without yep. uh, like going outside for a lot of different yep. things for yep. policing, for the crisis that we're now seeing. I know you had a busy day. I know you were on Fox and Friends all morning this morning. Um, yeah. I know you got to go. But before you go, could you just walk us through the what what's labeled as the migrant crisis in New York City? Like what mm. you're seeing and what your thoughts are on that? Well, I'm going to call that for what it is. All right. that That's um, illegal that have invaded our border and um, our country. And it's a man-made crisis, all right? Um, there were billions and billions of dollars up for grabs, all right? And, and Mayor Eric Adams, um, Kathy Hochul, are greedy, all right? And they took that money, all right? And they promised the world to these people. And they knew that it was not sustainable when they even, you know, got into it. Um, they're pushing these people off into communities that are already poor and struggling and don't have enough resources. And these people are pushing the poor people that are there already out. And then they literally dump the Africans right off on the sidewalk and just left them there, right, to do whatever. I mean, what do we think is going to happen 
next. Crime is going to skyrocket. These people are used to hot environment. They know nothing about being homeless on the streets of New York City in the winter. They know nothing about that. The first thing they're going to do is look for means of survival. And they're coming inside. That means go in your house, go in my house, go in whoever's house. They're hungry, right? And that's just... My, my, Mal, I don't want to interrupt you, but Mayor Adams did say that was his plan, that he wanted he wanted people to take them in, so it's kind of like his plan. <laughs> well, people are not going to willingly take them in, all right? These people are going to break in. They're going in, period, all right? People who have basements, cellars, you're going to find that you have squatters living down in your basement, right? Um, and, and going up and stealing your food when you're not home. Right in in the house with your wife and children, we don't know who these people are. They have business being here. He needs to line those buses up. Whatever money he has left, okay, he needs to line those buses up and send them people back to legal points of entry. If they want to come in, let them come in the the legal way. Deport them back. And when Trump gets into office, he said that was the first thing that he was going to do. Is the biggest mass deportation you know uh that the country has ever seen and that's what needs to happen those that are not you know don't have family here those that are not you know quote unquote seeking asylum all right from what i understand only 600 out of all those hundreds of thousands of people have really uh submitted the applications for asylum and plus that takes years to get that? So we, we, we've been bamboozled. New Yorkers have been bamboozled. We've been sold a bill of goods. And it cost us billions and billions of dollars. And we are stuck with the aftermath. We're stuck with it. I work in Midtown. I see it every single day. Them Africans are getting cold. They're walking around hungry. Yeah. Telling you it's, it's going to be a bad scene. It's going to be a bad scene. And then we put them before our own homeless people, our own veterans. You know, that's the part that's hurtful. That's the part that makes you, you know, uh, cry. When, when you see our own people out there for years at a time. And then you want to put these people. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. You know, you know, you know what's quite interesting? Right. So you talk about supporting the black community and making the black community understand that the progressives are giving them a raw deal. And I saw the same thing. I worked in the South Bronx for almost a decade as a special operations lieutenant. And it's interesting you asked. Right. So, you know, I recently retired, but I retired because the kind of cop that you want out there. I, I did not fit that mold anymore. What I was paid and trained to do anymore. I was attacked by an overzealous civilian complaint review board. I could not do intrusive police work anymore. They don't want people like John and myself out there anymore. The progressives. But what I can say is you're 100% right. Black people do. Because when I was out there and I was attacked by an overzealous civilian compared review board, I was getting awards simultaneously from the community. And the community mm -hmm. is black. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to community members on, you know, in the elevator or walking around. And they didn't want to say it publicly, but they would pull me to the side. They would say, hey, listen, thank, thank you. I appreciate it. Or some of them would give me their numbers like, hey, listen, you know, I'll, you know something's going on here. Text me or call me. I'll help you out. That's right. But they had to live in fear and silence. And, and it says, so it said that black people get a raw deal from these progressives. And, and what would you, you know, we yeah, yeah, I don't, in 
we don't want to put them in office, you know, Be- because they were able to refine the message. They came out with uh, this these exotic words and terms, diversity, inclusion, disproportionate, you know, systematic, all this other kind of stuff that sounded good. So then you have social media that, you know, uh, uh, promotes this kind of stuff. Then you have leaders, you know, that are, that are black and they, they have charisma, Obama, you know, and, and they sold us a bag of goods. They, I bought it. I bought it. You know, I'll be the first one to say it. I bought it. Hey, this is cool, you know. However, what's I going to say? Oh, people want to focus on the criminal a lot, right? But we have to understand that the offender, right, especially low-level, nonviolent, usually commit their crimes because they have a drug or alcohol problem, right? They're sick. And I don't feel that they should go to jail. I don't feel that we should criminalize addiction. Back in the day when Rudy was in office, they had something called alternatives to incarceration, where they sent people away to the long-term inpatient programs for 12 to 24 months. And people's lives were changed and saved. You know, hundreds and thousands of us, okay? And that was during the crack era. Millions died, but also millions were also saved. They took the funding from that because they said that it was cruel because they don't understand about the disease of addiction. A lot of people wouldn't commit the crimes that they did if they didn't have to support a habit. They wouldn't. When you have violence, people, killers kill, rapists rape, thieves steal, women beaters beat women. They're violent. That's what they do. There's a place for them. It's called J-A-I-L, jail. And that's where they need to be. That's where they need to be. You know, they don't need to be in society because they can't function in society without hurting other people. You know? Now, if you were to listen or talk to a mother of a repeat offender, right? She would rather get a call from their child from Rikers Island that they're alive than from the coroner telling them where to go identify their child's dead body. My mother would rather get a call from me from the jail than from the coroner to say where to go identify my body. You know, I'm I'm divulging something to you here because it's going to come out, especially since I'm running for office, all right? I have a criminal history. 30 years ago, you know, I was I got caught up in that whole crack era thing. I've been to jail. I've been to Rikers Island, right? I've done time. My mother even called the cops on me a few times because she'd rather see me in jail than in the streets, number one, killing myself with the drugs or getting a call that I'm dead. And it saved my life. It saved my life. A whole bunch of people who were incarcerated, they're talking about closing micros and all this other kind of stuff. A whole bunch of people are not arrested, they're rescued. Compare mugshots. The arrest mugshot to the mugshot of when they released. And have you seen one person come out of jail looking worse than when they came in? Jail saves a whole lot of lives. 
it saves a lot of lives. Wow. That's a, that, that's amazing. Thank you for, for pointing that out. You know, I mean, you're so, you know, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to hold you all day. I know, I know. I know you, I know, I know you want to go, but I, I, yeah, I just, I one more thing, one more thing. Mm-hmm. I got I to ask you, what do you think? Like, leave, leave us with whatever you want to say after this, but what, like, what, what is, what is the way forward today? How as citizens of this nation and of, of this city, what do we do? What is, what is the first thing that you would recommend as a whole to everybody? To change the way we're voting, change the way we're voting. Right. Um, I'm not saying that the Republicans or the conservatives are, you know, um, a godsend, but I'm telling you now, all right, the Republicans will be fiscally responsible. They'll be better stewards of our tax dollars. They won't waste it on frivolous stuff. Okay, They'll spend it, but it will be things that actually benefit the country. Um, secure the border. Uh, restore law and order. But the first thing that I would say is to change the way we are voting. If we do what we always did, we're going to get what we always got. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Makes no sense to complain about it. All right? Don't talk about it. Be about it. You know, don't don't sit back and complain. Like, uh, like Eric said, you know, people will say it. They'll mumble about it. They'll pull them to the side and say things, but they won't say it out loud. You know, we, we need to hear one another say this out loud. I'm just one voice. You know, we need millions of voices. They're doing it in Chicago. Those people are standing up together. And I'm not just talking about the black community, right? I'm talking about the Jewish community. I'm talking about the Italian community, the Asian community, because we're all in this together. You remember 9-11, all right? When those buildings got attacked, we all got attacked all together. You know, colors of the skin, political affiliation, religious beliefs, all that stuff just, you know, went away. And we were all about this working together and trying to, you know, uh, rebuild our city and rebuild our lives. And that's what we need to do. But it all begins with the way we are voting. The way we are voting. Mylon, I want to thank you. First of all, I want to thank you for being part of a family that has military service way back to the Buffalo soldiers for this country. I want to thank you for your fight, your feistiness. I know you, you had a lot to say here and there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of, I know I I appreciate it because it shows how passionate you are that there's so much on your mind in your head. You want to talk about, you know, there's, it makes me think right of the stuff that you said, you, you talked about how we need to change voting and how what's going on with black people. And there's a great small book and it makes me think of what you just said, right? You, you, you yourself had some criminality in life and you learned from it and being a successful person, which I think you are and you will be in, in politics because we need somebody like you and the and black people need you. All people need you, honestly, but black people, they really do because they've been steered in the wrong direction. And there's a small book. It's written by John Maxwell. It's, it's, it's about how, how do successful people win and how do they win? 
is by understanding their losses and evaluating them and actually taking blame for it and taking ownership and not blaming everyone else. And that's what's good. You know, you, you blamed yourself and you learn from it and making yourself a better person. And that makes other people great. And, and there's also a great saying in that book that talks about when people are on a ship, it's kind of, you know, it's a me metaphoric and is your, your, that life is like a deck chair. Do you sit on the, uh, do you sit on the back of a ship and do you look to see where you've been? Or do you sit on the front of the ship and see where you're going? And I could tell you look to see where you're going, where we're going. There's a lot of mistakes that have been made with politics, with crime. But I do believe, and I know John believes it too. That's why we're doing this podcast and we want to stop, that things can change and shift. Let's stop looking behind us of what has happened and let's look forward and let's make those changes. Madeline, I, I really do thank you. And of course, John, I always thank you for taking this journey. Uh, before we close this out, can you – plug yourself and tell everyone where they could find you and how to raise funds for your campaign. Yes. Okay. You, you can go to uh, uh, WinRed, www.WinRed Brain for Congress, and that will take you directly to the WinRed um, site where you can uh, click and donate uh, any amount. You can go to my website at www.madelinebrain.com. Uh, read about me, read about my platform and the issues that I stand on. Um, read the story about my son, Hassan, or Sergeant Hassan, and uh, you can donate there. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, I don't remember what the, my name, just click, just key in my name, Madeline Brain, M-A-D-E-L-I-N-E, -E, last name Brain, B-R-A-M-E, and I am on every social media platform that there is. You know, that you can find links to everything in my profiles. Awesome, Madeline. Thank you for coming on. We'd love to have you back on in the future when you have more time. We could go more in-depth into everything. And uh, we got you back. We love you. You know, keep, uh, keep the you fight so up. You know, keep the fight up. We need it. This is what we need, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to welcome and thank the great and powerful Madeline Brain for coming on Thank the you. podcast. In closing, I, I just want to add one thing. You know, I'm not a spring chicken, all right? I've been around a long time, a long time, you know? And a lot of things have changed in society. You know, we want to be progressively moving forward, forward moving with different things like technology and medicine and different things like that. But not with all this crazy stuff that we see happening here, right? With uh, the same-sex stuff and this changing the gender of our children stuff and calling women cis women and, you know, uh, being unlived and uh, uh, birthing people and changing our language and the things that are happening in our schools, what our children are being taught. We don't want to progress, progress that way. Teach our children how to read, write, and do arithmetic, right? And how to speak and write a full, proper sentence. That's what we need because that's what they're going to need once they get out into society. We want to be progressive moving forward, but not progressive that way. The progressives, the politician progressive, the policy progressives have to go. We have to fire those people because our children, the next generation and the generation after, are going to be lost in the sauce if we don't. 
No, thank you. It's, you're right. It's not. It's not progress. It's regress. It's a hundred percent. It's a hundred percent right. Yeah. So, you know, we again, we thank you. Call us anytime. You're always welcome back on here. We'd love to have you on for some crime panels to go around the room. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mylon. I mean it. Listen, I'm I'm traveling through Asia right now. I'm in Malaysia right now. It's oh. I I enjoy the Far East. I enjoy martial arts, and I'm here yeah. with my family. And I I just want to say honestly, I I usually don't say this, but I mean it. All the stuff you've been through, and uh, so being so honest about your past, and you learn from it. I do believe in a second chance. You know, we were police officers, and we were we rose to the ranks. And people have this ide ideology that cops don't believe people deserve second chances. I mean, John talks about his arrest constantly here. So if mm -hmm. I was in your presence right now, I would definitely give you a hug. Your family's given you so much, and you, you're, you. I wish you lots of luck out there. I I lived Thank in the Bronx you. myself. Yeah. I lived in New Rochelle. I know those are communities that you represent. So I, I thank you. I really do. Thank you so much for having me, guys. All right. You, you have a happy holiday. You know, don't eat too much turkey. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. And uh, guys, if you're getting ready to retire, if you're already retired and you're looking for a new financial advisor, like we always say, you got you to secure your own wealth. Check out our friends at Lady Law Blue. Contact Henry and John. They're great guys. Free consultation. You got nothing to lose, but you have everything to gain by going out and calling and finding out and seeing what's available to you, we highly recommend you give Layla a bull call. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community, but who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue, secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE.